So um, if you've got your Bibles, you could turn to Acts chapter 6. And actually, I've got a couple of readers coming up to read for me. One reader. Give him a round of applause as he comes up. Oh, I'll give you this. This is Josh, by the way, if you don't, if you don't know Josh. Hang on a second, we'll turn it on. Is it working? Yes, it is working. Hello. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. So, Acts 6, verse 1 to 7. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called, the meeting, called a meeting of all believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers select seven men, seven men who are well respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. Full, yeah. We will give them this responsibility. Then we, apostle, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert of the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Amen. Thank you. Woohoo. Yeah, go on. I asked him to do that because I didn't like the idea of reading out those w- names. So, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I-, I thank you. You were with us by your spirit. Lord, I thank you for speaking t- so powerfully uh, as we were singing. And I pray, God, you would continue to speak into our hearts right now. Lord, we just want to make ourselves available to you and say um, we're only living for your glory. We're only living to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, and I pray that you'd do something in our heart today. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, um, I, I, I spoke on Acts chapter 4. We're going through a series in Acts. Um, and on that week, I talked about what a spirit-filled church looked like. Um, and I, talk, I said, a spirit-filled church is a teachable t- church, a loving, caring, sharing church, a worshipping church, and a missional church. Um, but that's not an exhaustive list. And actually, as you go through the b- book of Acts, it's like a more kind of definition to what a Holy Spirit-filled church looks like comes about. And so I just want to add a few more little characteristics of a Holy Spirit-filled church today. And the first thing we're going to look at is that um, a Holy Spirit-filled church will be a perfect work in progress. It needs to be adaptable, and it's going to be attractive. So there are three things we're looking at, and I'll explain what that means as we go along. So a Spirit-filled church will be a perfect work in progress. Recently, my family has been on a bit of a binge... We've all got into a particular series called Escape to the Chateau. Has anyone seen that? Oh, yeah. Escape to the Chateau. Uh, Who hasn't seen Escape to the Chateau? Oh, okay. Right, you're going to go home and watch Escape to the Chateau. Basically, it's about a couple called uh, Dick and Angel, 
And a few years ago, they went over to France and they saw this chateau and it had been derelict for a number of years, but they fell in love with it. And here's a picture of it. It's an incredible place. It's got like 45 rooms. It's set on 60 acres of land. It's got its own walled garden. And it's even got a moat. It's absolutely tremendous. It was, when they saw it, they fell in love with it and said, we've got to give up everything and go and live there. And they're looking to make a business out of it. There's a problem, though. In fact, there's hundreds and hundreds of problems. <laughs> it's in a state of disrepair. It's, uh, the walls are crumbling. The wood is rotten. And basically, the series follows this couple who are doing up this chateau in France. Uh, but every single week, there's just a, a catastrophe that they find or something terrible about what's going on. Um, and and they, you're kind of watching it thinking, are they going to get through this one? Are they going to be able to carry on? Is the dream going to end here? Like all the pipes burst all in one go, or the electrics are just gone over winter, or they find out that the roof is completely shot and it's going to cost them hundreds of thousands of pounds to get replaced. And you're like, oh, this is it. That's, that's good night for them. But do you know what? Because of their tenacity, because they love that place so much, because they care about it so much... Actually, at the end of every episode, and there's always one massive problem in every episode, they always get through it. And they sit back at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the particular episode, and they, they look, and they, despite everything that's gone ahead, uh, or just in front of them, they're, they're like, but we still love this place, and we still care about it, and we're still going to carry on. It's a great thing, and I think it's a wonderful picture, actually, of the church, because Jesus loves the church. Jesus, for, for Jesus, the church is perfect. He, he, he finds it beautiful. He looks at it and says, wow, I want that. I want to give everything for that. And at the same time, he knows it's a work in progress. It's perfect, and yet it's a work in progress. It says in, Hebrew, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her. So as to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any of the kind. Yes, so that she might be holy and without blemish. See, Jesus, for Jesus the church is perfect. I wouldn't change it for the world. But it's a work in progress. I'm going to change it for my glory. It's a bit of a paradox, but it's a beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't try and, and make us, and, and this story shows us, it doesn't try and show us that the church is perfect. If you go through the book of Acts, you just read, actually, it's like episode after episode of trial and hardship, and yet every time the Holy Spirit comes through, and at the end just sit back and just say, wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't the church amazing, and isn't God amazing? And, uh, uh, you know, so we've looked so far in this series, we've looked at they've been persecuted and put in prison. And yet God comes through for them. You think, is that going to be the end? But it's not. There's greed and there's um, jealousy. Or what was, what, greed and what was the other thing in, in uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Pride and all of that kind of stuff in the church. God doesn't say, well, I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm getting out of this. The Holy Spirit does his work and he carries on with it. 
Jesus loves his church. He wouldn't swap it for the world, but he will change it for his glory. So in our story today, the church is going really well. There's lots of people getting saved. It's kind of like exponential growth. It's incredible. But we're told that uh, all of a sudden some problems arise and we begin to hear of, I love this phrase, rumblings of discontent. Is it up there? Yeah, rumblings of discontent. That's a great little phrase, I think. Um, You see, in a visionless church where the Holy Spirit isn't moving, there will be rumblings of discontent. People will be frustrated and upset and won't really know why. That's going to happen. But here, in a Holy Spirit-filled church, there are also rumblings of discontent. And actually, rumblings of discontent aren't necessarily a bad thing because uh, we're we're God's perfect choice, but we're a work in progress. And so there's going to be rumblings of discontent at some times. But when God moves... And this is, this is what Denise was saying really today. When God moves and people are getting saved, church doesn't get neater and tidier. Church gets messier and more prog- prob- problematic. There are more and more people getting saved, more and more widows getting saved, which we'll explain in a moment. And that wasn't making life easier for the church. It was making life tougher And, you know, it's wonderful news when you hear that people have been saved, when Jesus has done his amazing work in someone's life, when someone's gone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They were slaves to sin. They had no power over themselves, and yet Jesus broke in, and now they can be called children of God. That's exciting. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any problems. When you became a Christian... It didn't mean that all your problems were suddenly sorted out. And I think that's a real important thing to understand. When someone comes to the church and Jesus does an amazing thing, they might have struggles. What happens is their struggle becomes our struggle. Their temptation becomes something that we want to work with together. Their challenges become our challenges. And so life doesn't get easier when people come to know Jesus. Sometimes it gets tougher. Because, you know, uh, one of the things that changes us, we don't preach, but when we're preaching, we're not talking about behavior in one sense. It's not like being a Christian isn't behaving in the right way. What it is, is about a transcendent kind of experience and knowing that the Holy Spirit has brought you alive in Christ. And as a result of knowing him and spending time in his presence, your life just suddenly, or just starts gradually changing. Your mind gets renewed. You used to think in this way, but you find the Holy Spirit is also speaking to you now. And so the way you think, suddenly it's starting to change. And that's what happens as people come in. And so you'll find that people start, and there's a lot of mess that's really obvious for everyone to see. But that's fine, because over time, the Holy Spirit will do his work and change them from one degree of glory to another. And what's important is not that they behave in the way that we expect in our culture. The important thing is actually their mind gets renewed and becomes more like Christ. And uh, that's exciting because, you know what, Jesus sees the church as perfect and he also sees it as a work in progress. So it's all right. It's okay. If anyone was sitting here thinking, Denise, don't pray that. (laughs) 
don't pray that kind of thing. Don't ask the Holy Spirit for that kind of thing. I just want to say, if anyone was going to say that, you'd think Denise, she likes things neat and tidy, but actually she wants the mess, doesn't she? We prefer the mess of it. Amen. So we're not going to leave the problems. We're not going to say, oh, it's okay, everyone's different, there's problems, people sin, people uh, you know, do this and do that, that's okay. No, no, it's not about that. It's about saying it's okay, that's a starting point, and the Holy Spirit is going to do his work in their life as we keep focused on him. Okay, so what's the, uh, what's the issues of discom- discontent in this church? Okay, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to uh, abdicate my responsibility of explaining it. <laughs> um, it says, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Who would be a good person to explain this to us? Hmm, I think Peter Wood would be a good person for that. Where is he? Where is he? Is he running away? Oh, there he is. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Do you mind which side? No. Okay. Any. Okay. Ignore Chris for a second. Um, that's going to help me probably more than more than anything. Get my words in the right order. So this is a really good um, version. Actually, we've got a bit of a problem here. We've got these Greek-speaking Jews, and we've got these Hebrew-speaking Jews. Okay. I just want to give you a little bit of background and a bit of context as to why this is such a problem. Because actually, I've read this lots of times. I don't know if you've read it lots of times, but actually, you can read it. And it doesn't sound like a very big problem, actually. It sounds a bit like a, of an admin job. Okay, let's just let get some guys and just sort the thing out, right? Just sort it out properly. We haven't got time. We've got to preach. We've got to go. That's what the, you can read it like that. But actually, this becomes is this is a huge problem um, for both groups, but in particular, I think for one of them. So. A little bit of background. The Old Testament scriptures, you can look in Deuteronomy, you can look throughout the Old Testament, and you can see how God talks about looking after certain groups. Okay? Widows features heavily as one of those groups. Orphans feature as well. Um, those who are strangers feature. But widows comes time and time again. And if you're a widow, and if you, uh, you didn't have... A, a male sort of family member, actually, you are very, very vulnerable. This is a vulnerable group. Um, and God says, look after them. In the Old Testament, he says, look after them. So what became a part of Jewish culture, what became a part of who they were and their identity and how we do things based on Scripture and what God said was to look after the Jewish widows, their widows that were with them. Um, so they would... There would be collections, there would be um, gathering of resources, and these would be distributed to the widows. Okay, so this has gone on for ancestors. So if you are at this time now, where we see an axe, and you are a Hebrew-speaking Jew, your ancestors would have been looked after, the widows. The widows before them would have been looked after. This is kind of who you are, this is what we do, right? It's that deep, and that's why it's a big issue, because it runs deep with people. Anything that runs deep can kind of look like a surface problem but actually can be much more deep, uh, deeper rooted than, than what it looks um, and so what we see here is we see these, these guys with all their ancestors and their history these goods were given to them and distributed to them okay? then the problem where we are now okay, so that's the, the, the context for it with me? Yeah. lovely um, where we are now is that actually these people are coming to know Jesus 
They're being brought into a new church. There are Hebrew-speaking Jews that have come to know Jesus. There are Greek-speaking Jews that have come to know Jesus. Okay? And the church continued with this giving out. Okay? We see in Acts 4, as Chris mentioned earlier, that, they, that people sold houses, they sold property. Okay? And they gave it, they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed among them. So this carrying on, this looking after, continued by the early church. Okay? So, two groups. The Hebrew-speaking Jews. The reason I've put Hebraic Jews, because if you're, I think this is, is this New Living Translation, which is really clear, right? It's the one that makes sense to me. Um, but if you've got NIV or other versions, it might say in it, the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Okay? So I don't want the actual terminology to confuse us. And here... The Greek-speaking Jews, the Grecian Jews, or Hellenistic. These guys, this was kind of a, a wider group. You would have had Gentile converts to, to, to the church and also Jews, Greek converts to Jews. These guys, their identity was kind of different from these guys. Their history was different. And, and the reason I've done one side and the other is because our identity and who we see ourselves as and what our culture and our history tells us is very, very important to us, and it kind of affects our actions sometimes. Even without us realizing, sometimes it can affect our actions in the giving out and the distributing to the widows in this circumstance. But actually, what Jesus does is he gets both of them. You're going to grab that one, Chris. Yep. And he just puts them together, right? Hence a problem, because you've got this, all these kind of this, these differences now come together in this one circumstance. And you could read over this and, and, and look over this, actually. They were discriminated against. There wasn't an even giving out. So one side is going, hang on, hang on. They're, they're getting more. Their widows are getting more than what our widows are getting. Okay, we'll just give it out properly, which is what happens. But actually, if we think about it, it made it into Acts. Luke, it got into Acts that Luke wrote, which I think is significant. I often think of all the things that didn't make it into Acts and how many things people go, I did that, and it didn't even get it in, you know, those sorts of things. But actually, it was important enough for Luke to put it in Acts. So the question I guess we can ask ourselves is, what would have happened if it wasn't resolved? You know, how divided would that have, you know, it played out in the distribution of things to widows, but would it have come out in another area, and another area, and another area? Now we're trying to tackle lots. So as been pointed out, and as Denise brought earlier, people come with differences, and the, the problem here for the early church was that we had these guys with these very different cultures and it, it just ran deep. It was who they were. And the early church was just going, bam. It's what Jesus does, right? He puts it all together and it's to do your identity. Your identity isn't there anymore. It's not there. It's not there. It's here in me. Mm, mm. And, and that is Amen. the problem. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Excellent. So as Pete said, there are two issues at stake. First of all, the humanitarian problem, making sure enough uh, the people have got their food. And uh, the second one is the racial problem that is just so well explained, where different cultures are not getting on. Both of these are really important. They are so important. As he said, uh, you know, the responsibility that we have to make sure the vulnerable and the needy are looked after is, is, is something given by Jesus uh, in Matthew 25. He says, you know, uh, what, how you treat the least of my brothers, it, you're treating me as well. So if we don't look after those people, we're treating Jesus bad as well. 
it's challenging. And then um, on, the other, on the other hand, you've got the responsibility of the community to find its identity in Christ. In Galatians, it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Um, you are all one in Jesus Christ. So the problem needs to get addressed. So what are they going to do about it? The apostles recognize that they need to change some of the way that they've been doing things to make sure these needs are met. So uh, in Acts 4, as, as Peter said, it, the, the kind of tradition was to, um, for people to give to them and then the apostles would decide who needs what and make sure that that took place. Um, but that wasn't working anymore. It was working at one point. It's not working now. So now they have to be adaptable. When the Holy Spirit is moving, we have to be able to adapt to the new situation. Because if we don't, we're going to miss out on what he's doing and we're going to undermine what he's doing. It's a really important principle. And churches find adapt, being adaptable extremely hard. Because things we care about that might not be things that God has said we have to do become like tradition to us. Things that we, we, we kind of feel we have to do, they kind of get concreted in, and it's part of who we are. It's part of what we do. It's important. How can we... Yeah, they become sacred. And actually, the danger is, if things that aren't supposed to be sacred become sacred, it stops the Holy Spirit changing things when he needs to change things, doesn't it? So that's what happens. We need to be adaptable. So, how do they do it? So the 12 call a meeting of the believers and they say we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God not running food programs and so brothers select seven men from uh, who are well respected from among you that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom we will give them the responsibility and then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and in the ministry of uh, sorry and teaching the word I just want to say something. I could not find a translation that did this justice. Because actually, the words used for uh, we shouldn't be running our food program is exactly the same word for, uh, that he used afterwards for the ministry of teaching the word. The running the program is the same as ministering the word. So they're both ministries. But every single one of our kind of ways of writing it make it sound like, look, we want to do this. We want to pray and we want to kind of make sure that, you know, we're preaching the gospel. So we'll palm off the job of ministering on tables to someone else. Let's give it to someone else. That's not what this is trying to say. What he is saying is, We've been commissioned by the Holy Spirit. We've been anointed to preach the word and to pray. That's our job as a 12. But as a church, we must make sure that the needs of the vulnerable are being met. And so we need to find people that have been anointed in the same way that I've been anointed to preach. We need someone here that is anointed to, to do that. Does that make sense? And so we need to make sure that we're not saying preaching is like the main thing and then other things come after. That would be a very dangerous way of looking at things. And actually, you know, I, I said it's a work in progress, the church. And actually you see a bit of an evolution because up until this point it's been all through the apostles and now they're saying, hang on, we need seven other people. 
And later on, the Apostle Paul says, it's not just we need seven other people. Actually, we're a, we're a body. Every single person has got a role and a responsibility to play. And in City Hope, there isn't one person who hasn't been given a task by the Holy Spirit. There's every single one of us are anointed to do a particular role. What's your one? Are you doing it? Are you honoring God with what he's put in you? If you are just sitting here on a Sunday thinking, well, this is what I, I do. I just sit and I listen. You're missing it. Okay? Because God's got something that is very important for us as a church to have. An anointing and a gifting that you've got that we don't have. And so you need to be playing your part. Now, we were supposed to have notices, so I thought it might be helpful just now. Um, we have an amazing uh, worship team, don't we? Don't you think? They're very good. And you're meeting at some point, aren't you? Monday the 25th. Monday the 25th. Do you want to say anything about it? Nice and loud. Excellent. Brilliant. Well done. <laughs> so, um, Sue, you are here. I want to, uh, specifically people that feel, do you know what? God has put on my heart uh, work for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the needy in our society. I'd like you to put your hand up. Excellent. Sue, could you come up? Is that all right? Keep your hand up. In fact, can you stand up if that was you? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of... Getting you. If you put your hand up then, just stand up a second. So if you feel that God has put the vulnerable, the needy on your heart, the, uh, that, that sense, I'm, I'm going to ask Sue to pray for us. That's all right, Sue? Your best one-minute prayer. <laughs> Father, I just want to thank you mm. at, that the poor and the vulnerable mm. are right at the center of your heart. Mm. There's so much in the Bible about caring for people. Mm. Um, and I just want to pray that all these people who've got their, who put their hands up, I just want to pray that you would really touch their heart. You would really show them um, what your heart is for people and what you want them to do about it and how you want to anoint them um, for the task. And this is just an important a thing as preaching the word, preaching the gospel, of um, you know, being a leader. Mm. It's, mm. it's really important to mm. you. It's really important to your heart. And you've got really s harsh words for people who just ignore people who are poor and ignore the vulnerable. And yet you've got really encouraging words for those people who just want to... Mm. <laughs> it, it really blesses your heart when we care for people especially people who nobody else really cares for, especially people who are not seen as important. You see them as important. Mm. And I just want to pray, just really, as a church, will you just really inc increase our hearts? Let mm. us touch the heart of God with this, and then let us 
act upon it yes. and, and let yes. your heart lead us um, into what you've called us to do. Amen. Okay. Stay standing. Sorry, one more second. Have a little look around. They're, they're your people that, that you've got to go and chat to. <laughs> if, um, if at the end of the service, come and find us. She'll be up here. Be good to pray for her. Okay. Excellent. Okay. And finally, a spirit-filled church will be attractive. Actually, could, could I get a band up? I don't know what you're going to play, but we'll do something. Is that right? Cool. A spirit-filled church will be attractive. Um, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many Jewish priests were converted too. Um, all the commentaries I read kind of say that that was referring to the fact that they started preaching again. I, I think it makes more sense to say it had something to do with the fact that the church was ministering correctly to the vulnerable and the needy. I, I think actually these priests looked and said, do you know what? This is real faith. This is real love. This is real. I can see it. And so they responded by saying, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to put my faith in him. Um, Matthew chapter 5 says this. It says, you, talking to the disciples, but let's take it for us as well. You are the light of the world, a town built on a, hall that, a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And, uh, you know, there's something there, and you'll have to go and think about it, where Jesus is saying, your good deeds will be a light to the world. Go and think about it. Go and think about that verse. Your good deeds is like a light to the world. It demonstrates the glory and the beauty of Christ. As we say, we're serving others. Others will find that attractive and come towards Jesus. And I, 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 we're going we're to sing a song of uh, response, if that's all right. Um, and, but I just want to say, if, if you're um, new here, or maybe you've been part of like looking in, but you're not a Christian, you haven't put your trust in Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Um, Jesus said at one point, he said, I didn't come, uh, he said, well, let me find the verse, hang on. I can't find it. He said, um, I didn't come for the, for the well, I came for the sick. And then he said, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinner. And a little quote here, it says, The church was custom built by Jesus, and we are all works in progress. We do not expect people to get their sins in order before attending church any more than a hospital expects people to get healed before they show up. And I just feel that maybe there's some people that feel, I, I, I need to sort myself out and then maybe Jesus will be pleased enough with me. And, 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 and that is not the case. The Holy Spirit will take you where you are, are at and he will do his work in you. 
and he'll transform you from one degree of glory to the other. Please don't feel ashamed. Please come to Jesus. And I want to say, as we're singing this song, if you, if you want to actually do that, come to the front. Denise or Paul will come and pray for you, and it'll be great to chat that through. But should we stand together? And let's just worship Jesus.